Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. There's a new Ebola vaccine, and it works spectacularly well. A recent paper in The Lancet demonstrated that of the 7,600 people in Guinea who received the vaccine, not one person contracted the virus. This 100% effectiveness rate is unheard of. Here with me to discuss the implications of this vaccine for the fight against Ebola is Dr. Jeremy Farrar. He's a professor of tropical medicine and director of the Wellcome Trust, a philanthropy that supports medical research. We discuss how the vaccine trial was conducted, how the results can be analyzed, and what an effective vaccine might mean for the global fight against Ebola. Dr. Farrar has also, and very prominently, called for the creation of a global vaccine fund to spur the development and deployment of vaccines to counter fast-emerging epidemics, and we have a lively conversation about that proposal. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to check out our archives of interviews and conversations about both topical and timeless foreign policy issues. And now here is my conversation with Dr. Jeremy Farrar. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I hope, I think, I hope it will, it could be a game changer. I think it's very important to appreciate that we're not there yet. These, of course, were hugely encouraging results, um, remarkable achievements, but, you know, this is not a licensed vaccine yet. And there is, it is critical that more data is gathered on safety, on how effective it really is um, when it's used, uh, obviously, in the context of an ongoing epidemic. Um, but the idea that we're, for, for the future, we're going to have this epidemic and for future epidemics, a vaccine against Ebola, that in itself is, an, in a, is a huge achievement and in itself is game changing. We just have to finish the job. Uh, and then we have to make sure this vaccine is available now and in the future to those that need it. So can you tell the story of this vaccine? Where was it developed? How was it developed and how has it been tested? Well, the story goes back some considerable years, and and I think there's a lot of people, obviously, over the years who deserve great credit for its develop early development. Um, and I and I and I hope I don't miss anybody out. But but uh, U.S. scientists, uh, academic groups, the NIH, um, uh, German groups were involved as well. The Canadian public health authorities obviously played a, an absolutely critical role. Um, it was then picked up by a company, this is a few years ago now, by a company called New Link. Um, and then during the course of this epidemic, New Link and, and Merck came to a very uh, productive uh, um, partnership in which 
the 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 new link the new link made it available so that it could be developed at the scale that is really required. And then, of course, um, all the people involved with actually the assessment, most importantly, the uh, national authorities, the uh, government of Guinea, um, and indeed also Sierra Leone um, and Liberia. Everyone has been involved. WHO, um, the World Health Organization, obviously over the course of the epidemic has come in for a lot of criticism, and I've been critical of WHO, but I think they also deserve great credit for what they've done in com- in conducting this study coordinating this study and showing the leadership through this um and 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 along with MSF the Norwegian public health authorities and here at the Wellcome Trust and and uh London School of Hygiene Tropical Medicine I, I you know lots of always, partners with, lots of partners I I can imagine with, with this complexity of uh achievement um there's a lot of partners um in order to get get it get the work done uh, over many years and particularly over the last 12 months. So how was the study conducted? I mean, in the midst of of a raging epidemic, I I would imagine. So how do you actually test the efficacy of a vaccine in the midst of, of, you know, a calamity that's unfolding? Yeah, and that context is hugely important. that, you know, during the during an epidemic, any epidemic, and and I've been involved as a clinician and uh, and a researcher in many of them over the last decade. Uh, it is chaotic, it's frightening, um, and and that context is hugely important and just adds to the achievement uh, that everybody involved has brought to this this vaccine. In fact, the the, the implemented the assessment of it actually, you know, again, you know, history rhymes. It may not repeat itself, but it often rhymes, and a lot of the lessons learned actually and, and, and memories of the eradication of smallpox played a role in helping, uh, helping design how this was assessed. Uh, and and si- simply, the, when there was a case of Ebola in Guinea, um, the, 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 the family, the community surrounding that case were offered vaccination. Uh, there was a control arm where the offer of that vaccination was uh, deferred for three weeks. And then those two groups if you like, immediate vaccination of the uh, ring vaccination around an individual case versus delayed vaccination three weeks later. And then uh, then an assessment of how many cases of Ebola occurred in the two groups were then compared. And that's what gave us the uh, vaccine efficacy um, of 100%. Now, we must bear in mind these are interim results and the numbers are relatively small. And that's why more information is needed. But uh, obviously that is a stunning result and, and hugely encouraging that the vaccination seemed to prevent any further transmission in communities with an infected member of that community living with the, within them. And that's hugely important for the bring, to bring um, an epidemic uh, to an end. So now is the implication that there is a very effective vaccine against Ebola that you know we need to scale up the production and distribution of this vaccine well i think that the 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 study has demonstrated that the ring vaccination strategy which is uh, vaccinating everybody that's willing to be vaccinated who is linked in any way in a community to a uh, person with known ebola we know that the vaccine uh, seems to work very very effectively in that setting and with acceptable side effects um, and those are very important um, 
what the question is, and, and this remains unanswered, is what role this vaccine might play at a, at a more population level, either uh, amongst healthcare workers, uh, frontline workers, um, or, or in populations itself. And that is something that we have to keep going on study. I think very important, essentially, to keep our feet on the ground. This is about this vaccine in the ring vaccination approach that was used in its assessment, where it's clearly very effective and could really help bring this and inevitable future epidemics under control. It, we don't yet know what its role might be at a population level, either populations of doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, or even at a population level if we consider that. That, that remains unanswered. Uh, and how, presumably, are you going to go, to go about answering that question? Further studies? Well, further studies are needed. And, and also, we should bear in mind that there are other vaccines and, and we may need more than one type of vaccine for this disease. We, we, we may need a vaccine like uh, the VSV, the one that we've used now, uh, to give you instant uh, protection against Ebola when you're in the midst of an outbreak. We may also want to think about uh, an Ebola vaccine in future where you could vaccinate people uh, either in potentially at-risk countries or healthcare workers or a cadre of national or international people who might be called in immediately into an outbreak setting of Ebola, where you might wish to vaccinate them today, but have long-lasting immunity and protection against disease, which might last 10 years. Now, at the moment, we don't know if this VSV vaccine uh, produced by Merck or the other vaccines produced by GSK or, or Johnson & Johnson would give us better longer-term protection? That remains an unanswered question and obviously critically important. I wonder if one implication, perhaps unintended, of having an effective Ebola vaccine is that um, you know more and more resources might be put into developing and distributing and scaling up this vaccine that might otherwise have been contributed to improving the underlying health infrastructure, the training of doctors and, and the efficacy of, of the hospitals. Um, which is something that a lot of groups have identified as one of the key underlying causes of why it's been so hard to contain Ebola in West Africa is that these three countries have just very weak uh, health systems. So I'm wondering if, if you've encountered uh, in your discussions uh, whether or not that might be perhaps an insidious implication or, or a, you know, uh, you know, perhaps the like unintended consequence of having an effective vaccine. Yeah, I, I have to say I'd fundamentally disagree with that. I mean, there's, there's no doubt that these things should not be, must not be seen in isolation. This isn't about either having healthcare systems that are functional, robust, resilient, or a vaccine. These are part of the same question. Vaccines um, are part of public health, and they complement and they work alongside improvements of health infrastructure. It's a, it's a false choice to say we can either have a vaccine or a, or a functioning public health system. Essential to have both of those. They, they complement each other. If we look at the great rollout of vaccines in, um, in rich and developed countries in the 20th century, uh, of course, we all know that many of the improvements in health occurred actually before we had vaccines by improvements in sanitation, improvements in public health, improvements in health systems. Absolutely no doubt about that. But vaccines can complement, can add, can be synergistic with those improvements in basic health infrastructure. And you need both. You absolutely need both. One, it's not a choice between one and the other. You need both. And I, I don't accept the argument that it would, it would take away resources from other activities. We've got to bring these all together 
vaccines, public health, clinical medicine, uh, uh, training of doctors, training of nurses and infrastructures, etc. This is this is how we have to approach it rather than saying it's a choice between one and the other. Um, so actually, your answer, I think, segues nicely into uh, a proposal that you wrote with uh, other prominent uh, doctors and, and uh, global health officials in the New England Journal of Medicine calling for the development of a global vaccine fund. Can you describe what your what your idea is and, and what problem it's meant to resolve? Yes, I mean, I think it's, um, we, we have a dilemma. Um, vaccines are clearly of huge public health importance. Um, that's been demonstrated uh, time and time again, where vaccines have been absolutely critical to improvements of public health alongside the public health infrastructure that, that you've mentioned. Um, but there is a problem in, the, in, in that companies uh, uh, are led quite rightly by commercial interests and by the need for um, for seeing a market for a product that they develop. That is the driving force of companies. It's led to huge innovation in that sector and has been a very positive um, uh, positive way way of developing uh, new drugs, new vaccines. There is a problem where those markets aren't necessarily in place. Where, in my view, the the public sector, philanthropic sector. Organizations like the Gates Foundation, the Wellcome Trust, need to work together with industry uh, to, bring the, to bring the strengths of both of those together to address really crucial public health needs and, and critically unmet public health needs. And I think we need, to, we need to change the incentives around where the commercial sector works so that there is a clear pathway through this so-called valley of death where, where early products are developed but there's no funding to take them through to demonstrate safety in early phase clinical studies. So is, is uh, the idea then that, that uh, a vaccine like, say, the Ebola vaccine is developed in government labs or in academic labs, but there's no real commercial incentive to scale up because, you know, Ebola is, is a pretty rare disease. And even so, it affects just very poor populations in Africa. That's right. And, and we need to get across that, that gap that currently exists where there is a need there's actually, yes, as you say, from academic groups or from non-academic groups, there is a clear opportunity to develop a vaccine, but there is no market, in, market incentive to do so. And yet the world does need them. And there are a number of vaccines like that, which are currently essentially not being developed because we haven't quite got right or we have not got right uh, the incentive structures there to both appeal to the academic, to the public health, and to the commercial enterprises that all have to work together in order to produce these vaccines. And, and you're talking and about, and you're, you're, you're talking about um, diseases like chikungunya and MERS, the Middle East Rep Respiratory System, and, and SARS, right? Not necessarily like malaria. Well, malaria is, as uh, you know, is um, a vaccine for malaria is a long way down the path to development after 25 years investment by uh, GSK and particularly by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So, so malaria, there has been great progress in malaria, but essentially, in fact, it's a very good model. It's because, yes, governments, yes, academic groups, yes, commercial enterprises, GSK in this case, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation got together to pursue that agenda and you know i have huge respect for what they've done and we now have we will soon i think have a malaria vaccine it's not perfect and we need to continue to improve it but as a model for how vaccines might be developed for huge public health need but where there's no uh, commercial market i think it actually does give us a model which has worked 
Um, and I think we will need other vaccines in future. Yes, for endemic diseases such as chikungunya, clearly spreading around the world, maybe in the future for dengue, uh, and maybe then for some of the emerging issues like we saw with Ebola. Yes, we don't. Uh, MERS-CoV in the Middle East at the moment. Uh, SARS has... Uh, was a wake-up call for the world 10, 12 years ago, but we don't have a vaccine today for SARS. And if it did come back, uh, we would face another very nasty epidemic of potential global impact. So there are these endemic and there are these epidemic diseases for which we as a world are not protected against. And there is no real commercial driver for it. And therefore, we need different models to bring together the commercial, the academic, the philanthropic, and the government sectors. And how much money would be required to bank this fund? That's a very good question. Inevitably, these are guesstimates. I mean, um, you can spend huge amounts on vaccine development. Over the last 20 to 25 years, the malaria vaccine has taken a a very large commitment of of funding. Um, There would be other vaccines. Uh, In fact, the Ebola vaccine is a good example. I mean, uh, in, the, in the very unusual special circumstances of Ebola epidemic of the last 18 months, um, that vaccine has been fast-tracked and has been developed and I hope will soon be licensed uh, on, on small amounts of money in comparison with, with others. So it's not always that you need hundreds of millions of dollars for a vaccine. You could get to the critical early phase clinical development, phase one, phase two, um, certainly with tens of millions, if not less than that. And and with the sort of sum we talked about in the New England Journal of Medicine paper, sort of a fund of $2 billion, that would allow you to develop a significant number of vaccines to a stage where they could be uh, used clinically if and when needed. Um, so since you wrote that article in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, have you seen any steps towards the actualization of, of making that, that, that idea materialize in, in any sort of tangible way? Yes. I mean, you know, obviously, they're very early discussions at the moment. Obviously, there's no commitments. The idea has only really just been formed. Um, but certainly discussions, the, the, um, uh, I was in the U.S. last week uh, with the office of the, of the president of the U.S. Uh, hosting a meeting a, a, a about these issues of which the, this was under discussion, uh, had discussions with the World Health Organization, the insurance industries have been very interested in, in this whole epidemic response and preparation area, um, United Nations as well. I think, I think sometimes in public health there are these moments when people do get shocked just by the potential for these uh, infectious diseases to cause such disruption to society. Um, there is a moment to be seized, uh, and it is often, tragically, out of these sorts of very sad events that that things really change. Um, you know, Gavi, the Global Alliance mm-hmm. for Vaccine Initiative, was spawned out of out of similar sort of concern many years ago, and has made a major contribution to the to the availability and access to vaccines at a global scale. So, there are just moments yeah. in time where opportunities come, often out of tragic circumstances, which I think the world needs to really grasp, get behind, and change the way we address things, and ultimately change the world. And I think this is one of those moments we need to grasp. Uh, great. Well, I'm glad you referenced Gavi because that, that's the Gates-backed Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunizations that seems almost to be a model for what you're trying to do, though they are tackling endemic problems as opposed to the epidemics that you're, you're describing. That's true. But I think these overlap, actually. I mean, you know, the, the, one of the, the uh, Ebola, West Africa in the last 12 months has had massive impact 
not just on Ebola, but also on the, the other endemic infections. The malaria control program has suffered hugely because of the impact of Ebola. The tuberculosis program has suffered hugely. The non-communicable maternal child health. We can almost anticipate a measles epidemic in West Africa because so many children born in the last uh, couple of years will not have had measles vaccination. So we shouldn't dis differentiate here between the endemic and the epidemic diseases. They overlap, they impact on each other, and they both negatively impact on societies and their capacity to, to improve the lives of their community. So, so Gavi does focus quite rightly on the endemic diseases, has done a simply wonderful job in terms of increasing access, and I think there would be potential great synergies between a fund that uh, we describe in the New England Journal and Gavi in the future, and certainly that is being, um, that is being discussed. Uh, great. Well, Dr. Farrar, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. I hope it was helpful, and uh, thank you for phoning. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. And, you know, good news, such as it is in the fight against Ebola. As of this week, there are three ongoing cases, although the World Health Organization warns that you know, there are some untraced contacts that might result to the further discovery of other cases. But the bottom line is for the last three weeks at time of recording, the total number of cases worldwide has been below 10. Um, so certainly good news. As always, I strongly encourage you to write a review on iTunes if you are a dedicated listener to this podcast. And I know that there are many hundreds of you out there who fit that description. So please do consider writing a review on iTunes. It does help other people who are similarly interested in these kinds of issues discover the podcast. So we'll see you next time. Bye.